Welcome to episode 8 of Ed Talks. I am Ryan. And I'm David. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about recruitment in the international sector. We're now in the month of February, February and March being the high time of teacher recruitment. All affairs are going on online, offline, and this is really the time where schools are looking for their candidates and candidates are looking for their schools. So I thought we'd have a chat today talking from a teacher perspective and from a school perspective, red flags, green flags. What do schools look for? What do teachers look for? So David, you were going to weigh in here from the school perspective. What would you think is the ultimate green flag and the, the red flags of candidates applying for teacher posts in the international sector? Hi everyone, thank you Ryan. I think the first thing obviously, there's due diligence at the first stage when applicants send their CVs in. You're obviously looking for subject knowledge and experience. But for me, the first green flag is making sure you're suitably qualified. And I've learned, having been in Switzerland now for seven, six, seven years now, that there's, a, there's an ideal based on the state system where you have to have a master's degree to come through. And actually, that's not a driver for me now. In, in some ways, it's more... I think, I think the currency has become quite devalued in terms of master's. I think you know, it's great that some teachers have master's, but in an international school, we don't necessarily need that. I'm looking for a, a degree in your subject plus teacher qualification. If you've got a master's, that's great, but it doesn't make you a better teacher. And, and that's one of the things that... One of the red flags for me is if someone comes in with a master's and they've only been out of... you know, They've done it straight away after one or two years of experience only. So that's the first red flag for me. The other red flag is if teachers are bounced around a bit. I need stability. I want to see a member of staff has given selfishly four years to a school minimum. So you can see that they've seen you know, a cohort or two through. They've, they've got results. They've taken projects through to completion. And they're not doing 18 months, two years, and then bouncing just because. So I like that stability as well. So that's what I look for. A couple of red flags. There's more, but I'll go back to Ryan now and just ask Ryan, as someone applying to a school when you make that first contact or website visit, what are you looking for? I think when it comes to school recruitment, it's one of the very few areas where actually stalking is the good thing to do. I think you need to do your research. Stalking? Yeah, the background, yeah, I call it stalking. You stalk that school. (laughs) Sorry, go on. But I think you have to investigate. You know, I'm in the international circuit 13 years now, and the thing that's stood out in my mind now after 13 years is definitely what I would say to younger teachers starting off, the buzzword or the keyword is compatibility. Is this place a good fit for you? And I think when you're a younger teacher and starting off, you're a little insecure and you'll take the first thing you're given. And I think that's not the best approach. I think you're looking for compatibility. And it's when you're being interviewed for a school, you're also interviewing the school. You know, you're asking those big questions. You're, I love asking the question in an interview. And I've been through the interview process four times now in the international circuit. I've moved around four times. I love asking the question, what's the number one thing people moan about in the staff room? I love asking that the headmasters because there's a real way you can gauge how engaged the headmaster is with the staff. And also, I think you, the websites will always have a lot of good information about the school. But you want to gauge really what is the mood in the staff room because effectively that's going to be you next year when you apply. Once, Only once have I ever had a defensive answer where a headmaster almost <laughs> flinched at that. But a majority of headmasters can actually give you a really good and decent answer to that question. They, they majority of good headmasters will say. The second green flag would be where you're at in your career. What can the school work with with you in the terms of your career? I took a job once and the headmaster told me uh, straight out, you'll work long hours, the salary's really bad, and in a school with really poor limited resources and a, a campus that's really run down. So he really sold to you there? Yeah, very honestly, but he was also saying to me, but in return, we'll peg you with a more experienced teacher. You'll get a lot of one-to-one mentoring. You'll get a little bit of middle management experience. 
and you can use this for four years to move on to a more established school. And I jumped at the opportunity. I saw that as partly the compatibility, but secondly, I saw that as it met my needs of where I was and with my career. And I jumped at the opportunity to work long hours for a low salary in exchange of the experience. No, it's good. And I think there is a view that um, there's a balance between what we call the, the backpacking mentality where you know, young young teachers want to travel the world so that they'll bounce in and do, you know, a term, two terms a year and then move on with their career because they want to travel the world. But there's the other side of it where you've got, uh, yeah, you've got experience that you can be gained. There's certainly, a, it's easier and quicker to gain experience on an international circuit, I think. Move up the path slightly quickly because um, employment tends to be slightly more fluid mm-hmm. just just because. Whereas some of the, the more traditional kind of, you know, say boarding schools, for example, in the UK, your career would almost entirely be in one or two schools. I mean, it changes slightly now, but there's still a longevity there. But I think the experience that you get in the international circuit is massive. And it also depends where you are. If you're single, backpacking mentality, I understand. If, you know, if you're in a relationship and uh, the pair of you want to, you know, you're both in education, want to move on, that's something. If you've got a young family or you're establishing, you've got a family and you've got, you know, you've got commitments, they all have a bearing in terms of what you're looking for in a school. And you're absolutely right. When you sit down and interview, it should be, it's, it, it's, it's a partnership there. You know, the school wants to see what are you going to bring to, to our school? What are you going to bring to my business here? What are you going to bring in? In terms of your your skill set, your experience, how you're going to be, you know, liaison with uh, and working with staff, how you're going to inspire kids. And by the same token, you need to see is this a school that I want to be in? You know, do do I agree with the ideals? Do I like what they're doing? I think the past ten years with all the franchising going on and the opening up of places such as China, United Arab Emirates, and so on and so forth, it's very easy to get seduced by a lifestyle which actually, when you arrive, is not quite there. So uh, schools need to be honest as well. You know, and as much as staff coming in need to be honest of what they're looking for as you know in terms of what they do it's an interesting time Ryan for sure so you talked about green flags red flags for me as I said earlier things such as you know somebody bouncing around too quickly they've only done 18 months in a school at a time and they've done that four or five times you start to ask the question why, why is that somebody as I said who doesn't have the um, experience of teaching you've got to start somewhere I ex- yeah it's that fundamental dichotomy isn't it you know we don't want to employ you because you haven't got experience but I need to work for you so I can get some experience. And it's that kind of balance in between. But somebody who's, let's say, done a three-year kind of undergraduate degree, then they've done the master's, um, sorry, then they've done teaching for a year or two, then they've done a master's. You can't, you can't apply the wisdom and experience of teaching if you've only got a couple of years of experience. But most people in education nowadays, especially in the international circuit, do a master's because it's a currency which, which people on a CV, it's a pile of CVs, do you have a master's, do you not have a master's? I'm the opposite. It's for me, if someone walks in with a tie, a collar and tie into an interview, I almost dismiss them straight away because I don't think that's the person that they are. And I'm not saying that's right, and I get it, but if I see someone in the master's on top and that's, you know, it's, it's the glaring thing, I think, well, actually, I want to, you know, that almost is a turn-off for me as much as it can be a positive to what it brings to the school. But you only learn that, I think, by um, going through CVs well. And that's, that's a different thing. We'll come on to that later on. How you look at CVs, what are the deciding factors to that initial shortlist when you're coming through and I think COVID's had a massive effect on this because at the moment everyone applying for a job is doing it on on screen and you know as well as I do you can be on screen and something you've got inappropriate material on your bookshelf behind you or you've got something which you didn't want to have or or we had the funny things like there was the one the other day which I saw on the news about there was a lawyer in in some quite high high brow case where he was online with his thing but the snapchat turned him into, into a cat and he did the whole of the delivery of his thing you know as a cat but everyone was quite professional about it just thought okay 
you know, see how we go. So there's that kind of side of things too. But I think the online thing has completely changed. It's made it more difficult to for schools, I think, to to recruit accurately. If that's a better term. You can rec- you can still recruit well. You know, you got your CV, you got the chat on screen, but it doesn't replace that kind of face to face. You know, can I sit down for half an hour and have a have a drink with this person? And would I enjoy it? Would I get something out of it? That kind of thing, which you've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I must say for myself, red flags for when applying for a school. There's one or two for me. I would have red flags if the school's going through the recruitment process too fast because that tells me that they're not given due diligence. And I suspect if they're going through the recruitment process extremely fast, it's a revolving door. They want to grab you quick. Yeah, because there's uh, plenty going out. And I think the extent to which schools reflect their staff, is there photos of the staff on the website? Is there the contact details of the staff on the website? And I think if they're hiding that, that information, then that would suggest to me either, number one, we don't really want you having contact with our staff, which would be a red flag, or number two, they're leaving that many times we can't be bothered to update the website every time they go. That's a very good point on the websites, I think. I think, if I'm brutally honest, I think there's a lot of... that Every school has a website. A lot of them are very sterile. You know, they're either extremely over-engineered and very kind of corporate and hit, so you don't actually get a feel for, you know, other kids smiling and enjoying it, other staff having a good time. You know, the kind of almost the TikTok approach to social media, slightly informal, slightly, you know, edgy but cool as opposed to the corporate stuff and it's very difficult so it's very difficult to get a feel of a school from a website there are some that you can it's the nature of the photographs that they use how much information they convey you know when you dive down into the website and see what you get but i think from your perspective ryan said somebody you know who's in teaching looking looking for jobs the website it's a starting point social media is the starting point nowadays for sure you know parents and kids 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 are the you know, kids run with this stuff. So they're looking at social media all the time. Well, Mum, Dad, I really like the school. Have you seen this? It'll be a TikTok, it'll be an Instagram or whatever it is. So it is very influential. But how do schools harness the power of that and how do they get an accurate representation across to people that they want to work in their school? Because actually it sets the tone for what you want to do. But I think we have to move move beyond the kind of paper CV or the digi- digitised CV now. And it's a skill to go down. I get, I'm get, i getting saddened when I hear about businesses using kind of electronic sorting of CVs, you know, and it's happening now, you know, with um, artificial intelligence. They, they're they starting to bounce through CVs and kind of select in the corporate world. I could almost see it happening at schools level. Got a master's? Yes, you're into the next stage. Haven't got it? Unlucky, off you go. And that's a really, that, that is not what you need in schools because you've got to lead on on um, on empathy and characteristic as much you know all things being equal yes they've got a degree in that subject they want to teach it they've been teaching it i think that's that's a standard but how do you go to the next level it's a really difficult thing you know and i've been in schools where we've you know we've appointed individuals who on paper are outstanding and face to face are pretty good and then you find they've got some baggage behind the scenes when once they've come in and then you how do you manage that how do you do it and by the same token people that you weren't too sure about but you know, you take a punt on them, so to speak, either because their A levels or A levels aren't particularly brilliant, or GCSEs, they got a degree, but it, you know, it was a, it was a, what do you call it, a Desmond Tutu, it's a Tutu or something, which is fun. But the way they, inspire, when you watch someone, they're teaching, you know, teaching the class, they inspire kids, they grab them. Yeah, that, we want that person in our school because those kids are buzzing as a consequence of that lesson. Uh, it's a difficult one to find the balance, and especially nowadays, you know, the, you know, some countries like the UK at the moment apparently are hemorrhaging teachers. You know, they're moving internationally. It's not so much because of the packages, because it is it is um, it is very much in a way buyer, buyer be, beware because a lot of the international packages have changed a lot. There are many places. I'm thinking of Hong Kong. I'm thinking of uh, the Middle East. Was quite recently 
packages of change for teachers. Uh, so the kind of the honeypot of going somewhere quite exotic or somewhere quite hot or just somewhere different is great. But once you get in, you find then that, the, you know, the various, the taxes, the local laws and everything else and the impact on the type of person that you are and what you do. And that then affects the way in which you deliver your job. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 tough out there. You you really have got to apply, as you said earlier, due diligence on what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the social media is an important bit. I've seen schools with a social media platform. I know one school in Switzerland that does a social media platform where the teachers make a, a mock karaoke of a video every year for the kids and the exam. I love it. Yeah, it's good. And you watch it and you see the fun and you see the, the vibrancy of it. And it gives you that buzz, like uh, you think to yourself, that must be a great place to work in. The teachers don't take themselves too seriously. They're happy to be a wee bit out there and a bit eccentric, and uh, I love it. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's just teachers either. I mean, you see a lot of schools now doing... I mean, it's, it's become a bit of a... Not buzzy, but, you, you know, you, it's your staff in general. You've got your admin staff, your support staff, your teachers all doing, I don't know, whatever it is, you know, dancing to a, to a particular song, and they're all engaged, and it's all a bit of fun. It's about marketing, mm-hmm. you know, and it is, it, it is staged. But at the same time, you can see quite quickly whether the staff are having a giggle and a laugh at it. Or they're kind of rolling their eyes thinking, oh, do I really have to do this right now? Mm-hmm. And so you can you can gauge it. But as I said, it's a, it's a tough marketplace both ways. It's tough for schools to, to recruit the right staff because once one member of a colleague would suit one school may not not suit another. Um, and the same way there are many schools out there which will suit some people for what they want to do and not suit others. Mm-hmm. And it's about, you know, if you've come from the state sector going into a, into a private international school or a private boarding school, it's a completely different set of criteria that you face with, as opposed to somebody from the international sector going back into quite a in, into a state state school somewhere, whatever country it might be, because of the constraints that they then apply to you in a good way or a bad way. It depends what you do. And also during COVID, dare I say it, it's about having a job. And so, you know, th- there's less movement at the moment. I think people are kind of gathering their skirts, so to speak, and just thinking actually. My lot's okay here at the moment. I'll sit it out and see where we go. So if you are looking from, from, from my side of the fence, you're looking for good staff. You're not poaching them, but you've got to go out and find them. And that's where things like LinkedIn come in big time. You know, you can see, you've you made contact, professional contact with people. You can see who brings what to the party. You know, you can see, yeah, I'd like that person in my, in, in my employee because I think they're going to bring a lot of value to what we do. I really like this person, but I'm not sure they're suited to my school. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly as you were saying earlier about teachers choosing their schools as well. But it's easy, you know, if you see a job in Victoria in the Seychelles and you think, wow, that's cool, it's a beach and everything out. You're in isolation after a couple of months. You got boredom, which is, you know, I remember you talking about one of your previous jobs where, you know, you get not seduced by it, but you think it's, you know, you're going to be able to go to the beach every day and all the rest of it. But actually, the reality is you don't or you can't. And so you, uh, you know, it's uh, things, you know, and are you a townie or are you a kind of country guy? You know, I mean, I, I, I love cities. I think that's great. I'm saying this, but here, you know, in Graubünden in Switzerland, you know, with mountains all around us, I mean, it's beautiful, but I do miss the towny side of things. And I think people have to be honest with themselves in terms of what is it that gives them their drive and what is it about them that they like. You know, if you are a towny person, you enjoy eating out, you enjoy having a couple of drinks and bars and things, you know, there are certain places you wouldn't go to. If you don't enjoy the heat and the sun, probably don't go down south of Spain. You know, you've got to think it through. I think that's a, a big one for schools as well is... This idea that when they are recruiting, they have to ask themselves this question, is this person going to give the a couple of years at the school? Is the profile matching out? Is Are they compatible with the stages of development in their career? If a school says to me, nowadays, this is a school where you would, you're not going to get mentored and you're teaching, it wouldn't put me off. But if it was a school that said to me, 
you, you're not going to have opportunities to be head of department that would put me off um, I'm at that very stage good point as well I think I think for a lot of I mean for, for a lot of um, teachers Ryan you right looking for a school and looking for a bit of longevity you want to have you know buy-in be it through kind of you know CPD continued professional development opportunity or opportunity to go on a pastoral side if it's a you know can you be a head of pastoral somewhere or is it boarding school or if it's a head of department role, can you move into that? Is it a team where you, you know you can go into that? And it's, and it's an important thing because you know in the first ten years of your career, you're looking for that type of experience. And if you've got any else about you, you're looking for having a um, some kind of responsibility within pastoral and some kind of responsibility within a subject area. And then once you've done that, you make a decision in a way: do, or do I want to go that way or that way, or do I like both and I want to just keep going the way I am? But looking at the school that uh, that provides that opportunity is very important. And if you've got a school which is saturated with a lot of, um, you know, kind of old sods like myself, they may not, but, you know, you can either look at it up where they're going to be moving on quite soon so there's, there's going to be space to move or actually the school relishes having that wisdom and experience so we're going to keep hold of them so you hit a ceiling and there's not much movement within. It's a difficult one. How do you make that judgment call when you're looking at interview for the first time? As you said, you know, the website, the initial thing. One of the big things, and you've mentioned this in one of our podcasts before, uh, Ryan, was with the quality of the of the description of what the role is at the school, because you get a lot of you go on a times ed. There's a lot of generic stuff out there. You know, this is you know the job description is blah blah. You know, it's twenty bullet points. You know, if there's a bit of humour into it or something else, it's whatever it is, whatever it kind of flags up to take your interest into it, and you need honesty from schools. You know, everyone says it. there's always that last bullet point and anything else we decide to chuck at you, you know, as, you know in addition to what's, what's written above. But trying to tease out an understanding of what the school's looking for is, is not, an e- not an easy thing. And part of the reason for that is actually the schools themselves aren't too sure what they're looking for either. I mean, you know, if you, OK, we've got a history teacher down, we need a history teacher. That's quite black and white, we know. But do we want that history teacher also to teach them sport, coach them sport? Do you want them to lead on, on digital strategy? Do you want them to be have a place in the boarding house or you know day house on the pastoral side? So what skills over and above are we looking for there? And that has to come through on your CV, you know. And it's, I think coming right back down to it for people applying to schools, the CV is the most important thing because it's easy to forget what you've done, and it's easy to kind of waffle a little bit and put stuff which is not really relevant to to me thinking that you are the right person for my school. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great that you can skateboard. And I love the fact that you like ACDC, but I'm not sure how that contributes to what I want, you know, to what I want uh, here. Yeah, it's, 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 it's fun and difficult times out there. Yeah. Now, my advice to the younger teachers or actually just teachers in recruitment generally, I think one of the best ways to get that honesty across Get your website with your e-portfolio, for want of a better term, with projects. Give the school a glimpse of what the inside of your classroom looks like. Just like you're trying to gauge what the inside of the staff room looks like, give them a chance to glance it and, and have a look. Get your embedded uh, Web2 projects in there, sh- showcase some samples of kids' work. Totally agree. This And this is where, it's, for me, I'm, I mean, I'm a massive fan of uh, social media. It has to be monitored and carefully done. This would be another... A podcast for us but you know use your your pinterest and your twitter and your tiktok to show what goes on in your school now for many schools there is um there's a bit of a control freak thing going on how you know they they want to con- control all the strings on this but one of the things which makes spontaneity is very important if, you, if you're teaching and yes some kids don't want their photo you know they're not allowed to have their photos taken you know for and you can't put the name next to them but some of those, you know, really cool little short videos or photographs showing kids enjoying, smiling, having fun, 
be at the sports field, the musical theatre, or in a science lesson or design lesson, or even shock horror in a history lesson, right? You know, kids enjoying themselves, that quick little kind of Kodak moment, take it, stick it up. Don't go through the various layers. Does it go to the admissions and then it goes to the marketing and it goes to the head. Then there's a big meeting about it, in which case two weeks have gone and that moment has been lost. You've got to have confidence to be able to flick it up there because that's what parents look at. They want to see kids having a bit of, a, you know, having fun and engaged and doing what they do. And if it's too premeditated, you lose that. And I think when you're looking for schools to go and work in, that kind of stuff on social media is massively important. You know, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm afraid now, Six and a half thousand apps a day are released around the world, 10% of them for education. Social is a tsunami of resources. It's here. Mm-hmm. And uh, engage with that. But use it to our advantage. If you're applying for a school, look at their social media. Mm-hmm. Look at their kind of, you know, their Instagram, their Facebook, and other social media feeds are available. But see what they do. Look at their website and see, and see is, is it quite stale? Is it quite an old hat? Has it not, you know, look at, look at the bottom. You can see the dates. You can see where the stuff's been done. Or is it kind of revisited regularly, kind of weekly? And is it kind of vibrant and, and what have you? And by the same token for schools looking at, uh, looking for employing, to employ people, first thing we go to, first thing I would go to, I go to the people's social media feeds. I look at them, you know, and if I see them kind of on, a, on an inflatable unicorn with loads of beers around themselves, period three on a Wednesday, I think, well, is that are they suitable for what I need to do? I'm being slightly flippant, but do you know what I mean? It's, but you, you, it works both ways. You can... Mm-hmm. You can you can gauge a lot about people by looking at their social media because that now I'm afraid is, is where we're at with uh, with this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And the other bit that uh, trips people up sometimes, the old dreaded letter of application. Oh. I know for schools it's a, it's a no-brainer. Red flag is generic letter with a principal and name of another Dear school. Mr. Smith, my name's Brown. Yeah, he knows that type of thing. Yeah, the generic letter, uh, not personalised to each school, which is shown the uh, taking a shortcut. But any any ideas you think of what makes a good letter of application? I mean, yeah, due diligence in the first instance, you know, never address a letter of application to, you know, dear head or dive in, find find the name of the person, make you know, make it slightly personal. Remember, your CV is your, your coat of colours, so to speak. It, that, that shows the person that you're writing to, what your experience is, you know, your degrees, your schools your interests so you don't have to repeat that in, in in the thing it's what we do with kids isn't it when they say you know why did world war Two start the reason why world war Two started was because so they waste that first two sentences of just explaining what the questions already put in they know you're applying to the school so be succinct with it yeah and due to due diligence make sure you check the job description they put in and make sure you make reference to each of the points in your letter of application to what they're looking for in the uh in the job ad i mean it's the simple stuff you know, if you know if they're looking for a geography teacher, don't start off by saying that you know oh, I love history and I've been doing it for twelve years. Well, you've missed the boat there slightly. You know, mm-hmm. so make, make make it succinct. Yeah, but just see what you can. Again, social media, LinkedIn is fantastic for that. Look at colleagues who work at that school. Find out a little bit about what their um, philosophy is. Have a look and see um, what the philosophy of the school is and where they've been and what they do and how they engage. Where do they engage? What is it about? And then taint your letter of application to suit the kind of uh, things that the, the way in which the school thinks and the way what the school's wanting for over and above just the you know the, the, the job description stuff it is a it is a bit of a black art actually letter of application um, and nowadays I think trying to decipher when you get lots of letters of applications coming through it's very difficult at times I think to differentiate between one another one of the things Certainly when I've, in the past couple of schools, is, is having an online um, kind of CV, but an online presence too in terms of, 
you know, your letter of application is almost what they get online. You're not hiding anything. Um, and they can see that. And also there's, there's something about creative, uh, creativity in all of this as well, I think. You know, you see some very good kind of short... I mean, I had some students the other day, I was working with them on, on TikTok, and I said about using TikTok to create a, to create a CV. And one of the students here, uh, she was brilliant because she did a whole, whole CV using uh, sign language, because you can do sign language with some music in a room on a TikTok and in 20 seconds, got a fantastic CV. And it was really creative and I can see, you know, I would be attracted to that straight away if teachers were doing something different. You know, it could be a sports teacher bouncing on a trampoline talking to a camera. It's just different and you're engaged and suddenly, oh, that's interesting. You've got to have, the, I mean, the skill then is to look beneath the kind of the ice cream and the jelly, so to speak, to get to the mm -hmm. substance of what the, the, what the person's got. But I think, yeah, being creative with it can be quite good. A lot of schools, they're the other way, they like formality. You know, they want the equivalent of that kind of lined paper with the you know, your date in the margin and your head up there and all the, you know, da-da-da. And, yeah, that's not me, but I can understand how some schools like that. Mm -hmm. And it also depends as well on the Human Resource Department, I think, in terms of who's serving through these letters of application in the first place. You know, if it is, um, if it is somebody of kind of 60 years of age who's been in that school for 40 years, they may not like green paper with white text on it you know what I mean mm -hmm. it, it, you've got to play the game but you do that by looking at the website and seeing what's going mm -hmm. on yeah there's a lot of articles on TES the Times Educational Supplement from Headmasters about good letters of application and bad letters just to wrap up I thought there was two big red flags that a headmaster got that always stuck with me and I thought it was hilarious and I was going to run them by you David number one is that one liner I'm interested in this application because and it's a dot to dot but it's something to do with the person because I've always wanted to live here yeah. or I've always wanted to uh... because I love you <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one uh, which is a little bit more which I, I was guilty of in the younger years is finishing with the one painful line I look forward to helping you improve your school have you written that? I did once um, and as a younger teacher that is shocking that is that's shocking. Uh, another no, red flag I mean you come back I mean, maybe this is something we can do again later on but when you end your letter like that it's you know I look forward to the opportunity of having further discussions with you that type of thing is really good because it shows you know rather than something quite generic but um, how to improve your school that uh, you mate, you're in the bin. That's it. Done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, what the headmaster said: the rule in terms of being likable by a headmaster is make the headmaster feel good about his school. Of course, yeah. I mean, you've got to. No school you apply to, you're going to turn around and say, oh, "I think we can do better here," because I think I, you know, you, of course you don't do that. You're there. You're there to join a team, and to see the school develop and nurture through, be it through your subject or any other area you get involved with. It's part of, you know. You want to see the school continue to grow you know, for the next two, four years while you spend your time at the school. And the whole point of you applying to a school is because you feel you can contribute to that development. Mm -hmm. And if you don't feel you can contribute to that development, then don't apply for that school. That's quite simple to say, but a lot of people, I think, don't. There are people who are retraining, for example, who, you know, the teaching or looking for a job. And sadly, there's a lot of unemployment going on at the moment. As I said, there's schools closing. You know, globally, the international circuit is very rich on one hand. But there are schools which struggle and they have to close and people have to bounce quite quickly. But I think also one of the, one of the things that I love about the international circuit is the way colleagues interact. It's quite a close community because of social media, but also just because I think the, the, the mindset of people in the international who've made the move to, to move outside of their own culture to another country. I think that's, that's a really fantastic dynamic that schools can embrace. And uh, they're like-minded people in many ways. And I think that's what, that's what drives the international school. I mean, the, the, the crunch is that every month there's a brand new school opening up somewhere around the world, an independent international school. 
opening every month around the world. And it's continued, the forecast is for the next five years is going to be that way. Franchising is massive. International school development is going big, big guns. And parents want to invest in it. So it's a great time to be a teacher. Coming back to the beginning of this, the school's finding the right teachers for their school and you know the, 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 what they need. And uh, teachers who are looking for jobs finding the right school, which is going to suit their development opportunities, but also their characters. You know, and that's, that's key. It's not easy to get right, but it's important that you do. Cool. Well, that uh, brings us up to time now. Thank you for listening in. Yeah, and just before we go, Six Nations, it's really, really sad that, um, that Ireland lost the other day. And uh, I'm really glad that England managed to get something going. Well, I've got a theory. I think the Six Nations is rigged. And on that note, good night, people. Good night.